0: Parables of Jesus are invitations to imagine a world unlike ours. They're like portals into an imaginary world. The characters and plot of these parables invite us all at once to become participants in the story. They're short, short stories, really short stories. As such, they're like the hobbit. To Lord of the Rings, I love the Hobbit, but I've never gotten through the Lord of the Rings, though I do try. I gave up on my third attempt recently. They're like the wardrobe to Narnia, these parables are. And for you Trinity students, they're like an MDiv degree to future church ministries. And an MDiv degree is not at all like future church ministries. It's like an apprenticeship to employment. Parables are portals into an imaginary world that Jesus wants us to enter and to think about. To use Father Bill's expressions, they're listen-up stories. I would like to read this parable with you again. I know we've read it. But... I have students, uh, and we read texts, and they are texting. The wrong kind of texting. So I want to go through it a little bit more slowly. Jesus told them another parable. A recent academic monograph wants to translate the word parable with the word fable. I like that word. Just because... It stirs things up into what they are. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. Now, just to comment on this word weeds, uh, it's Zazania, would be our word for it. And if Leslie and Gill were here, they would call it Lolium Tamalentum. And they would know what that means. But Klein Snodgrass, who is probably right now the world's expert on parables in the teachings of Jesus, says that this weed, or zazania, is an annoying weed that looks very much like wheat, especially before maturity, and can carry a poisonous fungus. If it is harvested and ground together with the wheat, the resulting flour is spoiled. So there would have been concern about these weeds as they listened to the story. The NIV translates, the owner's servants, the Greek word is slaves, and the NIV is nervous about the word slaves, so it softens it to servants. Came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Of course he did. Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? Critical question in this story. Now, everything depends upon how the reader reads the next word. Is Jesus a little ticked off? Is Jesus pastoral? Did he say no? Or did he say no? There's no way to know. Whether it's no or no. No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Listeners. In the world of Jesus, knew that this was a fictional story. They did not think of some particular farmer who lives in the surrounding uh, surrounding village, some interloper showing up and throwing zizania into the wheat field. It's imaginary. Imagine a world like this is what a parable evokes in those who are listening. And close listeners to Jesus would not have wondered who the enemy was. Jesus uses this term for Satan frequently enough that they wouldn't have been surprised that it was the enemy, Satan. But they would have wondered who and what the weeds are. And when you hear this expression, you've probably heard this, wheat and tares. This has been one of the church's favorite expressions for an irresistible pastime of identifying the weeds. We've done really well at figuring out who the weeds are. It's irresistible. For some people, this is an exhortation to the church. In the early church, it was especially to create the... It had an impulse for a sinless church, So anybody who sinned after baptism needed to be removed. Now, I think a lot of us are pretty glad about this when we baptize infants. It makes for a pretty difficult life. But this has been one of the interpretations of wheat and and tares. A second interpretation is the holy church impulse. The weeds are those with notorious sins, and they need either to be humiliated in the church or disciplined and excommunicated. Think of Nathaniel Hawthorne's Scarlet Letter. This is the Holy Church impulse of early American colonial Puritanism, or at least a caricature of it. A third one is a pure theology impulse. The weeds are heretics, and if Felipe were here, we could ask him to tell stories about all the heretics who've been identified in the history of the church, because this has been one of the church's favorite pastimes for identifying the weeds. So in our day, it's sort of, for some people, for those of us who are my age or close to it or older, I won't ask anybody to raise hands, but I could use names. <laughs> The weeds could be people in different denominations because I remember when being a Baptist really mattered versus being a Methodist or a Presbyterian or an Episcopalian. Today, denominations have fallen by the wayside in the American church. Others today consider heresy to ordain women, as we do with Mother Amanda. Or others considered heresy not to ordain women. Others consider it heresy to baptize babies. Those are called Baptists. And those who don't baptize babies. So these have been sort of the uh, pure theology impulse of the church that has shaped and reshaped and misformed the church over time. And of course, today, the weeds are those with different politics. So we have an exclusive culture impulse and the sociologist who teaches down at Eastern Illinois and is an American Baptist pastor, Ryan Burgee. Ryan has made it pretty clear lately that the evidence is showing that churches are gathering increasingly by politics rather than by theology and the gospel. Twitter, Facebook, and now threads. I hope you are all on threads so you can feel like you're up to date. They do a lot of weeding in the church's garden online. Weed detectors soon discover they have become judges of others. Jesus did not create his apprentices so that they could become weed detectors. Perhaps we should be asking, why is it in the history of the church that the interpretation of this parable has obsessed over the weeds and who needs to be removed from the church. Why is it that we have such an impulse to be weed detectors? Is it not to justify ourselves? Is it not to pat ourselves on our muscular backs with our muscular theology and beliefs? Will Willimon, a -a one-of-a-kind Methodist preacher, In a sermon once said, from time to time, he says, we have tried to clean up the church, removing from the rolls all the slackers, deadwood, morally impure. Let's get this church pared down to the truly religious, the really committed, we said to ourselves. Invariably, he adds, we ended up with a church which more closely resembled the people who crucified Jesus rather than the ones who followed Jesus. Pretty good. Not bad for a Methodist, huh? Speaking of weeds. But is this how the parable works? Is this what we're supposed to do? Are we meant to be asking, who are the weeds? How do we purify the church? Is this the groaning? that is at work in Romans 8 that we read today. The church's temptation to become weed weed detectors has blinded our capacity to see what this parable is about. We miss the point. What is it that we are missing? Let me give a little bit of context for, I think, how Jesus meant this parable to be understood. The parable is about the presence of the kingdom of God, or in Matthew, the kingdom of heaven, in the days of Jesus. In Matthew 4, 17, Jesus preaches that the kingdom of God has drawn near, and in Matthew 12, 28, he says, If I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God Has come upon you. Already the kingdom is here in some ways. The question that the listeners of Jesus were asking is: why then the presence of evil if the kingdom is present? Why then the reality of the enemy? What Jesus as hearers expected from this parable. Was the question of the owner's slaves. Do you want us to go and pull them up? That's what they were thinking about. Of course. If the kingdom is here, let's kick butt. Can I say that? All right. Kingdom, Messiah, and victory were tied together in that world. Think of Mary's Magnificat in Luke chapter one. One of the most amazing expressions of this, of course, she could sing like Amanda, was, he has brought down rulers. And he has brought down rulers from their thrones and has lifted up the humble. That's kicking butt. Zechariah, one page over in Luke chapter 1, in the Benedictus, announced the already victory of salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, and to rescue us from the hand of our enemies. That was the expectation, and many would have been caught up in the hopes and expectations of a text, well, in the expectation that is recorded in a text called the Psalms of Solomon, which describes that in the days of the Messiah, we will have these kind of ideas. See, Lord, this is the text, and raise up for them their king, the son of David, undergird him with the strength to destroy the unrighteous rulers, to purge Jerusalem from Gentiles who trample her to destruction in wisdom and in righteousness to drive out the sinners from the inheritance to shatter all their substance with an iron rod. Yes, that's what the listeners expected when the kingdom came that there would be no more evil, that there would be no more enemy. First century listeners were wondering how the kingdom of God could be present and the world around them not fully redeemed. And if you study kingdom theology in the Gospels, you you have to ask this question. And the answer for Jesus is found in this parable. These people at the time of Jesus expected to call Galilee the new Bethel, as in our Genesis reading today. They did not expect for Galilee to become Jezreel, an Old Testament image, what we would call Antietam, or our political culture war. Their wondering, no doubt, was visible on their faces when Jesus responded to the question about uprooting the weeds with the word no, about removing those enemies' seeds with some violence. With that context now, I'd like to point out that there is one clue that is ignored and has been ignored in the history of the church constantly in understanding this parable. And it completely changes the meaning of the parable from wondering about those pesky, annoying, poisonous weeds. After telling another parable, Matthew tells us that Jesus left the crowd and he went into the house. Now traditionally, this is Peter's house in Capernaum, where Jesus set up his kingdom mission shop on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. I hope I'm right about the location of this house because I've told students for years where we are when we see Peter's house. But that's not the clue. Nor is the question the disciples asked when they said, explain this parables to us, Jesus. They wanted to know why we've got kingdom and evil at the same time. And they wanted to know what they could do about it. They were on the threshold of that house after hearing Jesus tell that parable to go kick butt. So we're going to read verses 36 to 43 again. Jesus identifies some of the particulars in this parable, making it a sort of a part-time allegory. The one who sowed the seed, the good seed, is the Son of Man, Jesus. The field is the world, And the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are the angels. The clue, the field is the world. The field is the world. Not Israel, not Galilee, not Judea, not Syria, not even Egypt or Rome, and certainly not the church. The field as the world completely changes the meaning of this parable. And we shift from being weed detectors to world witnesses. It stops weed wondering and starts world wondering. The parable is about how kingdom people relate in this world to non-kingdom people. Not that we have an infallible instrument that identifies them. How to relate to the sometimes non-kingdom people causing poisonous situations in our culture. That's what this parable is about. Jesus instructs his disciples that the kingdom is both present as an experienceable reality, but it doesn't mean what they thought it meant. It did not mean that there was going to be a battle in Galilee, and they were going to be the winners, and everybody else was going to get on boats and go to Rome where they belonged. It did not mean that for, the, for Jesus. It meant Patience waiting waiting for the son of man so it will be jesus says at the end of the age the son of man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil they will throw them into the blazing furnace That where there will be, this is a Matthean expression, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Listen up. The purifying work, the excluding work, is the work of God, not the work of kingdom people. And God doesn't do things the way we do things. In Bernard Malamud's novel, The Assistant, we read this dialogue, I quote, he asked her what book she was reading. The idiot, do you know it? No, what's it about? It's a novel. I'd rather read the truth, he said. It is the truth. In the book in which I read this clip, the author then said, the truth of the imagination. And that's what this parable is. The truth of imagination, the ability to imagine our role in this world, not to be weed detectors and weed pullers, but something entirely different. No, Jesus said. Now, how do we pronounce, how do we say that? Depends, I guess, on how irritated you are with the church or the world. Jesus said in this little fictional uber short story, no to those who wanted victory now with a sword in their fist. No is the truth he wants them to know. One of Marilyn Robinson's wondrous pastors made this wise observation of what happens when we turn into kick-butt weed detectors in our world. When we clap over Oppenheimer's atomic bomb, if you've seen the movie, everybody's clapping over what happened in Japan. And, she writes, Marilyn Robinson, I said that the desire for war would bring the consequences of war because there is no ocean big enough to protect us from the Lord's judgment when we decide to hammer our plowshares into swords and our pruning hooks into spears in contempt of the will and the grace of God. Gilead. Now is the time for kingdom people to dwell with non-kingdom people. Dwell with. Now is the time for kingdom people to live peaceably with non-kingdom people. Now is the time for kingdom people to establish toleration for all people. Recognizing once again that we do not know who kingdom people are infallibly. I know it sounds rather odd, but this parable should lead us to relax, to know that God is at work, and God will do God. It's a relief to know that we aren't called to rip out weeds, to know we are called to dwell with, to live peaceably, and to tolerate non-kingdom people in our world, that we are not the judges with the sad realization that weed-detecting turns us into judges. Now is not the time for Christian nationalist takeovers of the U.S. Capitol. Now is not the time for Christian imperialism to assume the throne. Now is not the time for happy, shiny people to sneak into power. Kingdom people maybe are not using violence these days but victory over non-kingdom people in the political cultural war has been a game too many of us have been playing we appeal to christian scriptures and theology and the gospel now jesus says is the time for dwelling with now is the time to be a witness now is the time to worship Now is the time to pursue and work for peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus said a few chapters earlier. Now is the time to resist injustice, not with violence, but with the way of the cross. Now, this parable is not advocating doing nothing in our world. Some of you may be irritated by this parable. I think Jesus has you right where he wants you. It does not teach us to let let racism be. It does not teach us to let violence go on or to let the drug cartel do what the drug cartel does. A single parable is never the entire Christian life. Parables do what they do, and they are but one little adventure with Frodo into the kingdom envisioned by Jesus. There is a time to back off and to back down, a time to tolerate, and a time to pursue peace, to enjoy a bench in the shade of the park. The parable tells us that that time is now. And so with the psalmist today, we need to pray, search me, O God, and know my heart. Thank you.